We're back. The point after college football show season two back better than ever. Two big football junkies with college football backgrounds. Join every Monday and Thursday to give you the best premium content possible. Episode one is underway where we'll recap the busiest, longest offseason of them all. Cody, are you ready? Man, it sounds like it's time to get started. Let's hit him with it. Welcome back to The Point After a College Football Show. I am one of two hosts, Jackson Groff, joined by the man, the QB guru, most say the black version of Kirk Herbstreet, Cody Oaks. Cody, it's been the longest offseason ever, but before we get to you, let's pop it up. Let's pop it up. First episode of the season. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Cody, how was your offseason? Man, you know, can't complain. As we saw, lots of moving pieces from coaches to players, programs changing conferences. So uh, lots to talk about. Can't wait to get started, man. We're about six weeks away from week one. So, uh, man, like I said, just can't wait to get started. Every Monday, Thursday, we're going to have a new episode. So now, from now until August 17th, just put August 17th on your calendar. We'll have conference previews, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, ACC, it even gives some love to the group five as well. And when the season starts, but before that, sorry, August 17th, we're going to have our TPAs, the predictions, our preseason polls, top 25, our college football playoff rankings, Heisman Trophy, all of that and more. And then when the weeks start, every Monday will be a preview episode. Every Thursday, sorry, every Monday will be a recap episode. Every Thursday will be a preview episode from now until the national championship. Without further ado, let's get started with the first episode, off-season recap. Cody, a lot of stuff going on, but let's start out with the transfer quarterbacks. Now, every year, since last year was kind of the start of the transfer quarterback era where people were expecting, okay, where are these transfer quarterbacks going to go? I've got a list of quarterbacks right here, but I want to ask you, Cody, the QB guru, Who's a guy that you think is going to make the biggest impact this season with their new team? Yeah, if I'm being honest, you know, um, I think you and I talked about this guy kind of as soon as it happened. Um, obviously, you're a big Notre Dame fan. Um, but as soon as we saw across the wire that Sam Hartman was making the move from Wake Forest, where he threw for over 100 touchdowns, I want to say over 11,000 yards in that crazy slow read RPO system at Wake Forest, and he was making the jump over to Notre Dame. Uh, man, you know, it was it was probably one of the coolest, one of the most exciting times, but also one of the things where you kind of look and you look at Notre Dame and their roster and uh, Coach Freeman in year two um, and kind of the things that he's able to do on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so you kind of look and you're like, oh, maybe they're like a quarterback away from being really, really good. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I'd say Sam Hartman is kind of set up for success right away. Um, there are a couple other guys that like we'll probably get into later in the show uh, that might be uh, ones to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, and Sam Hartman too. You, you remember Notre Dame last year. I mean, they had a great end of the season. Rough start, like one in three, one in four, I believe. They turned it around won their last five or their last six games. Uh, Marcus Freeman got a bowl game, big bowl game against South Carolina last year too. For me, a guy that didn't get a lot of attention in the offseason, and when he signed, it was early. I believe it was in December. Left his respected team early, and that's Cade McNamara. 
kind of mm. questioned why he chose Iowa. But, again, Iowa had a great defense last year. They had, like, two or three guys, I believe, went in the first round of the NFL draft in 2023. So, if they can have that same defense, and now they've got a quarterback there, I think that's a dangerous kind of team. And we'll talk, obviously, the Big 12 – or, sorry, the Big 10 preview um, later on. But that, that's a guy that's not getting a lot of attention this offseason with Cade McNamara um, coming out of there out of Iowa. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Cade McNamara was one of those guys who actually was the starter for Michigan uh, the last two years. So it'll be interesting to see him transition to, like you said, Iowa City. Um, another name to keep an eye on uh, before we switch gears, uh, Devin Leary made the jump from NC State over to Kentucky. Um, I think Kentucky has a really, really underrated receiving core. Um, Coach Stoops is always going to have that defense playing well. So um, as we get into the SEC <laughs> preview later, um, <laughs> Kentucky is definitely a team to keep an eye on with uh, a new trigger man in Devin Leary. Yeah, Devin Leary at first. I remember when he committed to Kentucky, we were kind of thrown off. We were like, oh, he could have chose here. He could have chose Notre Dame because way before Sam Hartman. But – he decides to go to Kentucky Wildcats, and I think that's a good marriage that we'll see, obviously, this season. Some other notable names I want to mention, Soror Sanders from Colorado, uh, Oregon State, DJ Ungolele, Alabama, uh, Tyler Buckner, Auburn, Peyton Thorne out of Michigan State, Florida, Graham Mertz, Wisconsin, Ole Miss got two guys, Spencer Sanders, Oklahoma State, Walker Howard, LSU, um, and then another one that not a lot of people are talking about right now, um, out of Wisconsin, new coach, Tanner Mordecai from SMU. I got to mention hey. him. And then Hudson Card. You're a big fan of Hudson Card. We weren't a big fan of the Purdue move. Now, the Purdue coach, Jeff Brom, left, but he still stayed in Purdue. Do you see that working out for Hudson Card, or do you see him kind of being like a, a Keaton Slovis and transferring once again? Um, You know, I think – uh, he's going to give it a go, I think, because I don't think he would have transferred if he wasn't going to play. You know, Hudson mm -hmm. Card, he had gotten some significant minutes against Alabama um, at University of Texas. So we were able to kind of see him in an element, um, a very intense situation. And I think that that kind of led to him being able to have a little bit more options at the Power Five level um, as the kind of the offseason kind of played out and he was able to transfer up there to Purdue. So we'll see. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, Purdue, um, the Big Ten is going to be an absolute murderer's row this year. And again, <laughs> I know we keep saying it, but we're going to get into the Big Ten preview a little bit later in these episodes. But, man, yeah, I think uh, um, Hudson Card is going to stick it out. I think he's going to spend the year there, and I think he's actually going to do very well. You know, Purdue has always been known for slinging the ball around. I've always been a big fan of Hudson Cards. Uh, he started out as a wide receiver. Uh, when I first saw him in the Texas State Championships as a junior, um, came back as a senior, played really well, obviously got a scholarship offer to Texas, went um, homegrown boy there. Um, I think he went to uh, – yeah, he ended up – yeah, obviously he went to Texas and then obviously like um, had some significant time against Alabama and then now he's parlayed that into being able to hopefully get the starting spot over at Purdue and we'll see how his college career ends up. So those are the notable quarterback transfers – Speaking of transfers, there's a lot of coaches that transferred schools. Just to mention a couple of them, Matt Rule to Nebraska, Luke Fickle to Wisconsin, Hugh Freeze to Auburn, Jeff Brom, like we mentioned, from Purdue to Louisville, Tom Herman to FAU, Deion Sanders to Colorado, Kenny Dillingham to ASU. Now, which one, Cody, do you think fits the best, and which one do you think will make an immediate impact? Because we saw some coaches last year in year one. Make a big jump, one of those being Sonny Dykes from TCU. 
I don't know if we're going to see anything like that this year with these coaches, but which one kind of catches your eye? Yeah, yeah I'm going to give you two because I think we're going to go with fit and then biggest impact. Mm. Fit, to me, Hugh Freeze, hands down. No question about it on, at Auburn. You know, was that old Miss? Um, spent a lot of time in the SEC West already. So he's already kind of had ties to those high school coaches and recruiting down there. Um, I think he's been one of the people that gives Nick Nick Saban the biggest headache. Um, Old Miss has beaten Alabama a few times over the past few years, and Hugh Freeze was right in the middle of that. So um, I think you can definitely win a national championship at Auburn. It's been proven. You know, you go there, you win the SEC. Um, Old Miss, he didn't really have that opportunity. So now he's going to have better resources, better facilities. Um, a better alumni group. So it'll be interesting to see how Hugh Freeze does over on the Plains and Auburn. Um, but in terms of impact, how can you say anybody other than Deion Sanders? You know, mm-hmm. um, obviously Colorado was 1-11. Um, I was listening to Joel Klatt, and he was talking about how Colorado lost by an average of 29 points a game, which was by far the worst um, in uh, the FBS. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I mean, come out <laughs> it'll be tough though coming out uh week one against the reigning uh r- national runner-up in tcu on the road but um i think like i said i think Dion has those guys over in colorado believing um and i think things in boulder are really going to turn around a lot quicker than we think yeah and i think his impact is already showing before without even the wins or losses on the column i mean that's spring game packed stadium um, I love the access that they have to they're one of those schools that's big on social media, having the access uh, behind the scenes. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, they got a talented roster. Speaking of Colorado, that leads us into our next topic. His approach was different than most coaches that, you know, old school coaches, maybe like Pat Narduzzi and Brent Venables, who called him out. Um, that usually are, are used to the recruiting, used to the high school recruiting and getting guys from Juco, you know, maybe a couple of Porto guys. Well, Colorado head coach Deion Sanders, uh, he was bringing his Lou in. He, made, he mentioned yeah. that in the first team meeting, uh, and he was active in the portal, flipped his roster so drastically because of the NCAA loophole that allows first-year head coaches to remove players from the roster um, so long as their honors their scholarship and stuff. Uh, so basically, he has a lot of cut players. So there's been – since Sanders arrived at Colorado, this is crazy, 51 players were on scholarship. And now just 10 only remain from that roster originally. And then he's wow. been in the portal a ton. He's got like over 50 guys coming in on the portal. Um, before I get your thoughts on his approach, I just want to mention Pat Narduzzi because he was one of the guys in the offseason that mentioned uh, Prime and didn't, didn't like his recruiting style there. He says, uh, that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not what the rule intended to be. It wasn't to overhaul your roster. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it works out. But for me personally, it looks bad for college football coaches across the country. The reflection is on one guy right now. But when you look at it overall, um, those kids have moms and dads, brothers, sisters, goals in life. I don't know how many of those 70 left really wanted to leave or they were just forced to kick out. So Nar- <laughs> Sanders responds to Narduzzi after he calls him out. He said, what was the situation – when he was at Pitt, which I like this, because when he went to Pittsburgh, they were a decent team. They weren't the last team in the ACC. They were decent. Yeah. It goes to Colorado. They were like one and eleven, and they were ass. A Statistically, bunch of, the worst Division One football program in the country. They lost to Colorado State, I think, last year too. Which Colorado State is not a good team um, over there. <laughs> over there in the Mountain West, they are not a good team too. So basically, he, he goes back and says, you know, what was the situation? 
when he was there, when, when he went to Nar- when he went to Pittsburgh, they had guys like Jordan Addison. Uh, obviously, went on to transfer at USC. But just overall, your thoughts first. I want to throw it to you about Dion's approach, and then Narduzzi's comments about Dion's approach uh, this offseason with the roster overall. You know, if I'm being honest, I think that Dion's approach isn't dissimilar from a lot of coaches. I think the only difference is is he filmed it. Yep. You know, I think I think that there's a lot of coaches that feel the same way, um, but they're worried about the perception of what they'll look like um, if they do it that way. So maybe they only take 10 out or maybe they only take 20 out when they go to a new program. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Dion's job is to win football games for the University of Colorado. And if he and if he feels that the best way to do that is to clean house, then that's the best way he's going to do it. And ultimately, I think Colorado is going to see the benefit. I mean, let's be honest, their season tickets prices went up something like 300 percent. They sold out the spring game. They're sold out in season tickets, I think, until 2025. So it's just like there's been such an energy that's returned to Boulder. And I think Boulder is in a like a unique position where there's California kids that come up, Arizona kids that come up, Pacific Northwest kids come down. It's mm-hmm. kind of right in that middle spot um, in those Colorado Rocky Mountains. And I think that it's going to be um, one of the prime spots in college football in the next couple of years for sure. And they've already got a couple of guys coming in recruits too. I mean, the way Dion's Oh, yeah, they got the, uh, and... the five-star receiver, Winston Watkins. Um, mm-hmm. they got, they've got the corner... for Cam Newton, C1N. So, yeah, they got the cornerback uh, that flipped from Florida State to Colorado too out of Florida that – is supposed to get some playing time this year too, but I mean Colorado holds the number one transfer portal class this year. They got 51 guys coming in from the transfer portal. Wow. And look, I mean it's cutthroat. College football is a business. I mean, the, at the end of the day, these coaches have jobs to provide for their families. If they're not winning, they get fired. All right, it, it's reality of the business. And most of those guys on the Colorado roster, at 111, were ass. I mean, you could see some of the guys, like some of the guys that were complaining that you know wanted <laughs> mind blowing, wanted the practice film to send to other teams. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to have the practice film send to other teams. Now, there's some leaks, and some people do that unannounced. However, most of that practice film has the plays on it. You're not supposed to – you can't You can't leak plays. Literally, has the old plays, plays labeled. Exactly, and they're all labeled too. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a cutthroat business. I respect what Colorado's doing. I'm interested to see how Shador Sanders and how Travis Hunter, especially if he's going both ways. I mean, he got first team all Pac-12 as a DB, and then he was honorable mention as receiver. So – Play both ways. Pac-12, I mean, as you know, Pac-12, HBCU. Pac-12, yeah. HBCU. Speed is everything, especially at different levels. Um, I don't know if we'll see much of an impact on the win column this year, but I'm excited for year two with them. And I'm interested to see if Stuart Sanders stays, uh, depending on how he plays this season. What do you think? If he's projected, plays well, projected to be a first-round pick, do you think he stays one more year? For his dad, um, I don't think this would be the year for him to come out in the draft with a Caleb Williams, um, uh, the kid from North Carolina, Drake May, mm-hmm. um, even Devin Leary going to be in the draft probably this year. I'd say he's probably going to stick around at least one more year, which would be smart. And then, like you said, it'll raise his draft stock so that maybe in the 2025 draft, he'll be able to kind of move into slide into that first round slot. So as we turn tides, turn topics. Probably one of the most shocking topics that has been recent um, in college football. And it's kind of a touchy topic to talk about. But us being, you know, former college athletes, being experienced in the locker room and stuff, uh, we got to mention what's going on with Northwestern right now and their whole hazing, uh, sexual, um, what do you call it, sexual assault, uh, sexual hazing stuff going on there, as well as racism going on in Northwestern. And, And it's shocking. It pains me because 
I mean, I never thought I mean Reese Davis said this too. Pat Fitzgerald, a guy that played there, a guy that basically put this Northwestern program on his back and rose it up, even as a player and a coach. Um, to see him do this, whether he was involved with it or not, at the end of the day, you're the head coach. And if, if either your players are afraid to talk to you about it, maybe or maybe other coaches were threatening these players, not to say maybe threatening scholarships or threatening playing time. It's just it's just a sticky situation. And right now we're seeing the more 50-plus players that are uh, going out and speaking that want to have a lawsuit against the university, not only football, but baseball oh. and softball too. So, Cody, your initial thoughts, uh, I can't even imagine being in a locker room with even this type of hazing. Some of it's graphic. I mean, the dry humping, uh, the extra running after practice, freshman stuff. Uh, Cody, just your thoughts about what's going on with Northwestern. Yeah, you know, um, hate to say it, but the last time we saw something like this was Penn State. And ultimately, at a program like a Northwestern where maybe you – like it's considered a landslide great year if you make it to a bowl game. And now you have this hanging over your program. How are you supposed to recruit? How are you supposed to get coaches to come there? How are you supposed to get players to stay? You know, these are like things like this kill programs. You know, we just Western Washington university, the school that I went to cut football, Simon Fraser university right up here in Vancouver, Canada. They just cut football. We see it all over the place, you know, programs, It'll be it'll be very very interesting to see if this program is able to rebound, not just to have a successful season this year, which we know that they're not, um, but even just moving forward, like what are recruits going to do? Think about mm-hmm. like the twenty twenty four commits, the twenty twenty five commits, guys that have maybe committed to an offer from a coach that no longer is going to be there. We don't know what NCA sanctions could be hanging over this program after mm-hmm. the investigation is done. Is there going to be a bowl ban? Is the program even going to be there? You know, God forbid we don't say the D word, but death penalty could be a thing. You know, you never know what can happen when it comes to the NCAA, because a lot of times when there's programs like this, the NCAA likes to either save face or make an example. Um, And unfortunately, um, like I said, we've seen it in the past with the whole Jerry Sandusky situation at Penn State. And uh, unfortunately, there's more stuff that keeps coming out and keeps coming out. And when you start having things like that, where it's like every single week, there's new discoveries and new things that make it worse and worse. um, It's hard for the players in the program to really focus on the game of football, as well as how can you attract a new coach to come in there? I know they they elevated, I believe, their defensive coordinator up to be interim guy. And um, I can only imagine what it's going to be like for him and the pressure that's going to be on him every single week to make sure that he's able to keep that locker room together. So, um, yeah. Tough times over there in uh, in uh, Illinois. Yeah, and then the Big Ten's in a tough spot too because the Northwestern, that's their academic school. That's their Stanford, right? So now now that there's issues going on there, um, I mean, to replace the Northwestern academic-wise, it's going to hurt the Big Ten later on. Um, some other news about the Northwestern, they've hired the civil rights attorney, Ben Crump, who was involved with the George Floyd situation as well um, a couple years ago. But, I mean... Props to these Northwestern players stepping up. I mean, it's so tough. Sexual abuse, physical abuse from, like, another guy and stuff to admit that you were abused. Like, I mean, some of these guys from 2013 are now stepping up. So, the first guy that steps up, um, 50 other players, too. It's just crazy how it's been going on for this long and we're now hearing about it. But, again, I mean, the the step up, um, super, like, a ton of courage and ton of bravery there. But, I mean, I just – I can't imagine – the you know the whiteboard 
leak that came out with the stuff on there or I mean the dry humping, the stuff in the shower, like I mean I just I, I can't imagine it's just disgusting. It's just disgusting that that's even going on at a program and the fact that the head coach doesn't know, you know, I, I feel I don't know, I feel bad because what if Pat what if Pat Fitzgerald comes out of this innocent, you know, and, and then what's going on with his cut with his career next? Where does he go? Or what if what if he knew about this the whole time and he's not gonna he's, he didn't say anything, you know? So it's like both sides of it I'm playing and I mean, it's just the beginning. I feel like every day we see a new update. Like, they're doing right. reviews at, at the school now. Um, I actually talked to a commit from Arizona, from in Arizona that signed. He's an incoming freshman. He went there this summer. I texted yeah. him. I was like, hey, bro, praying for you. Um, I don't know what's next for you, what's going on there. Obviously, you're getting a bunch of messages but praying for you. And he responded. He was like, thanks, man. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm confused. I'm lost. Uh, appreciate the prayers. So he's even – because you got to think – Cody, you know this too with recruiting. You sign you sign somewhere for a school. Yep. You choose Northwestern. Yeah. All the other options are gone. All the other options, all the other colleges are gone, right? So you're committed to that one school. When you commit to the school and you're an incoming freshman with no college tape, okay. If you try to transfer if you try to transfer in July, uh, fall camp start in August, two weeks later. So who's gonna pick you up in that span of time? Most likely you would have to go to FCS because most FBS rosters are pretty full. I know, I knew in Montana, you can speak too with um, Western Washington. We bring some guys in for fall camp periodically, like week to week too. Hundred percent. That's tough. Two, if he gray shirts, how do we know if this Northwestern thing is going to turn out with a bull band and stuff like that too? We don't know. Red shirt practice, maybe get some practice film there, but it's just a tough situation going on with them. My question to you: first home game, how do you see the atmosphere? How do you see everything playing out? Because at the end of the day, I want to support the players. And if I'm a booster there, I want to support the players. But I, I don't know if there's going to be either a ton of people there or if there's going to be nobody there. Man, if I'm being honest, you know what I, I – I hope this doesn't happen for the sake of the players. But with Northwestern being such an academic school, a lot of times there's like a lot of political stances that are on campus. Don't be surprised if you see protests outside of the field – don't be surprised if you see people storming the field and like doing like a sit in like it's like <laughs> it's not going to be good, man. I like I think I don't think their game is going to be televised. Like if I was a t television network, I would stay far away. Yeah, you can't even um, bet on Northwestern right now. for, that's for what sports saying. Like, I'd, You can't like, bet on them at all. Yeah. And it, it's weird, too, because now it's like imagine being a player. Like, do you do they like still do this? Do they imagine. just send everyone off and come back for fall camp? Like, I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough situation, too, because then you look at all the assistants that are coming back. Northwestern didn't have a choice. Also, how does Northwestern's athletic director still have a job right now? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's kind of, I, like, like we like, I mean, we were texting about it earlier. You know, like it's getting worse and it's not going to get better for a while. So AD is going to be gone. Don't be like mm -hmm. president. Like, yeah, you never know, man. Like I said, these these are the types of things that completely gut athletic departments. So, and sometimes the higher ups in the university. So, we'll see, man. Uh, I mean, their new NIL rules, the NCAA now came in and has set rules and regulations saying that now boosters can't make collectives, NIL collectives. They can't be involved with recruiting um, and help out there. But kudos to Texas. Why do I mention the state of Texas? Them, Montana, Missouri, and other states 
came out with bills when this whole NIL thing came out beforehand that says the NCAA cannot put probation or, or bans on these schools for these collectives ahead of time because they knew they were going to be ahead of this. So when they made this rule in 2021, they said, hey, the NCAA is going to be late, probably two or three years ahead of later on. Let's make this rule so these schools don't get punished. It, again, NCAA being late once again, I heard they're going to be talking to Miami about the, the Convender Twins and stuff like that with NIL, which makes me so mad because NCAA, if you were going to release this NIL stuff, be on it from the jump. Be on it. You knew Congress was going to pass through, pass it through. Be on it from the jump. Say, hey, only make only make NIL money from other brands, other companies, and, and not from these boosters and collectives, which I think the boosters and collectives helps – Towards the program, but maybe not towards like like for example, uh, Michigan. They did they did a whole collective to give money to uh, Blake Corum, uh, one of the receivers, I believe, Ronnie Bell, and a couple of offensive linemen. It worked. Texas A and M had a lot of collectives. It worked again. NCAA being late to the party, like you mentioned, cracking down on NIL and punishing these teams for stuff they didn't even have rules two years ago. That's the thing, man. Yeah, at the end of the day. I think NIL is great for college athletes, especially because mm -hmm. we've both been college athletes before, before the NIL space. Man, it can be tough. So um, because with the amount of time that we spend off on the field and in the weight room and in the classroom, we can't have jobs and things like that. So finding ways to make sure that these athletes can provide for themselves and maybe for their families early is a great opportunity. So I hope they figure it out. Kudos to the Texas and those other states for doing that. Um, and, yeah, we'll see how it goes, man. Smart moves there. Well, let's talk about something that wasn't a very smart move. We're big, we're big fans, big fans. The foundation of college football got to be TV-wise college game day. We're Period. big ESPN college game day fans. And, well, with the ESPN layoffs, there was two big layoffs that college game day had with David Pollock. And Gene Wardzanowski, which Gene Wardzanowski, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's not as big, it's not as big as a layoff, but it was nice. I mean, him and Tom Rinaldi are the two guys I love looking forward to when you hear those stories and their voices and how they portray these stories of you know different players, different coaches, different circumstances and stuff. But I mean, David Pollock was the biggest layoff I thought of the whole ESPN thing. They're messing around with their last big show, their last thing everyone's trying to replicate. The NBCs of the world. Are now trying to start their own. Fox is trying to start their own with Big Noon Kickoff. This is college game day. What's the future of this show, Cody? What's the future? And is this year probably a make or break it year for college game day? Man, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, obviously the old ball coach, Lee Corso, he's getting up there in years. Like, mm. he's not able to do every single show. They're getting rid of David Pollock. Um, obviously Kirk Herbstreet isn't a spring chicken. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like he looks great. He looks like he hasn't aged since 1995, but facts, facts. at the same time, like, and obviously we know we're both huge Pat McAfee fans. We get it. The same time when you have a show like that, it's one of those things where you do whatever you can to keep that continuity and keep that group together. The Desmond Howard, Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreet, Lee Corso, Pat McAfee group was something that, everybody always look forward to and something that we both talked about he's a former player who played in the sec at a prominent school in georgia so you have a guy who played at ohio state a guy who played at michigan a guy who coached at notre dame a guy who played at west virginia now a guy who played at georgia 
all those things lead to such good analysis and such good breakdowns throughout the season. So uh, sad to see David Pollock go. Um, and hopefully ESPN does the right thing and brings in someone that can fill his shoes properly. Yeah, and you could argue, besides Kirk Herbstreet, David Pollock's got probably as much knowledge, probably second to Kirk Herbstreet. I mean, Period. we're both football junkies. It's a four-hour show. It's a lot of college football they go over. It's a four-hour show. We do a lot of prep work for this episode. And this episode's probably an hour long, hour, hour 15 long. We do a ton of prep work. But we're lucky that we've got, you know, a laptop. We've got something that we can look at. They've got nothing. They've got only paper. They've got to memorize all these notes, all these breakdowns and different segments and stuff. And I enjoy David Pollock. We're both football junkies. Now this is going to put a lot of pressure on Reese Davis, who I think's good. He's, he's getting better at college football, talking college football. He's got his own college football podcast with Pete Thamel. They do a good job. But he's more of the driver. He's more of the driver of the show. Give the talents to Lee Corso, like you mentioned. He's getting older, which uh, God God rest his soul. Love, love Lee Corso. But he can't break down football like he used to. He's only there for the helmet reveal, head cover reveal, whatever you want to call it. That's it. Desmond Howard, I mean, he's the guy. I don't know if they pay him to, for some of these hot takes. Did you see his college football playoff prediction last year? It was Pittsburgh, Baylor, Texas A&M, and Michigan. I Three saw out it. of those four teams were – I think two of them didn't make a bowl game. Baylor was like six and seven or six and six or whatever. And then Michigan obviously made it because that's his alma mater. Right. Pat McAfee, we both love Pat McAfee. But I think he's more of there to bring energy and juice than college football insight and breakdowns. Let's yeah. be honest. I love Pat McAfee. He's he's a good analyst, but I, I, we want to see someone break stuff down. That's that's David Pollock. So again, we'll see what they do because they're trying to ESPN is trying to keep their core. Could we maybe see an RG three come in there? Which I wouldn't mm. mind RG three. I've been I've been a fan of RG three recently. Been a fan of Dan Orlowski. They could bring him in there, but again, not as college, you know, prominent as a guy like RG three is. Tim Tebow maybe. I think Tim Tebow is a little emotional. Would you? I mean, would you? He's a little more emotional from the SEC network too. But yeah, what's? I mean, this is a big year for him, especially with Kirk Herbstreit getting some opportunities with Amazon Prime. How long is he going to be there for? You know, right. and then you got guys like Big Noon Kickoff that's getting the Bear, getting Tom Rinaldi. Could David Pollock go over there too? I mean, it's mm. like that's tough. I mean, that's just a tough thing, and that's ESPN's like. That's that's their one thing that they've had. That's their one consistent show that they've had for so long. Let's be honest. We've all woken up at 6 a.m. to turn on college game day. So, <sighs> man, I, man, sad to see it. Sad, man, to, see sad it. to see it. That's the last of the offseason talk. But we're going to get into our buy or sell. Just kind of what we liked about the offseason that stuck out, what we hated about the offseason. Cody, I'm going to go to you first. Give us your buy of the offseason. My buy of the offseason, man, I am – all in on Florida State, man. Florida State, Reed Travis coming back. Jay Nor or uh, Jordan Travis, Jordan Travis. Sorry, Jordan Travis <laughs> coming back at quarterback. Um, receivers coming back, defense coming back, head coaches back. Um, Jordan Travis kind of ended the season on a hot streak. Normally, when you have that, there's a lot of hype kind of following you, kind of going into the next year, especially with. Obviously, Caleb Williams coming back out at USC, but it's very rare that we ever, if ever, see someone win at something back-to-back. -back. So, uh, Jordan Travis is kind of that hot new commodity, and we all, as we all know, whenever you have a good quarterback, you, you're going to be in every single game. I think the schedule sets up well. Obviously, LSU at getting LSU at home is going to be big as opposed to at a mm -hmm. neutral site. So, um, 
you know, if they can get past that game, um, you know, I think it's it could be a springboard game into a really good season. And as we know, um, if you have a lot of success, you know, one, maybe two losses are allowed and then, you know, put up some good numbers. You know, let's say he puts up like 4,200 yards passing, 40 touchdowns, less than six interceptions and maybe runs in five or six. You know, you never know. 100%. So I like that I'm I like all that in on the Florida State Seminoles having a good year. And obviously we'll get to them more when we do our ACC preview. Yeah, we'll see you, where you have them ranked, that's for sure. For me, when it comes to buy, I don't have a buy. Because I think, for me, this offseason was so – a lot of negative in the offseason. I, mean, I don't know if it's because it was so long and I was so dreading college football, but it seemed a lot of negatives. Um, I got two cells. I got, I got two cells. Hit it. I'm going to start off with the first one. Like yep. I mentioned last segment, college football – or, sorry, college game day, letting go David Pollock, I think was the biggest L of the whole college football offseason. Big David Pollock fans – He's got the background to prove it. Um, he's so good. He can break down defenses, break down offenses, any single college that you can name. And he's just a great guy. He's a great guy. Like, I mean, ESPN, like, ugh, we don't need those assholes on ESPN talking sports. So we don't need those. No offense. But I'm going to say it. Some females out there that talk football. Some of them can talk football. Mina Kimes is not bad. But there's some females out there that are on these shows. And I'm like, what are we doing? What, what, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, hopefully they don't bring a female to come in and replace David Pollock. Hope they bring someone with knowledge like RG3. That's my big sell. My second sell. This isn't really the offseason, but it's what's coming up. I'm going to sell the Rose Bowl being a college football playoff venue. Look, I mean, I it's the granddaddy of them all. It's known for, I think, the best rivalry in conferences, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. I, I, I think it's, that's what it's known for. Look, I mean, if the Rose Bowl, of anything, if you're going to make it a CFP venue, let it be the national championship venue maybe every year, every other year. But, I mean, like Auburn, Florida State. When Auburn, Florida State played each other at the Rose Bowl at night, that was such a great venue. But And then, yes, the non-conference, Georgia, Oklahoma was an electric game too. But, I mean, I just know it as the Pac-12 Big Ten, man. There's so much memory, so much when you know the, the winner of the Pac-12 and the winner of the Big Ten, barring the CFP, you're going to get one of each. We saw last year, Penn State, Utah. Everyone thought Utah was going to win. I thought Utah was getting You really thought Utah was going to win. Penn State wins. That shows you how good the Big Ten is. I just like this rivalry. There's so much history with it. If they're going to make it a college football playoff venue, let it be the national championship. Don't let it be a semifinal game. That's myself. Uh I can't Wait, agree with you. Okay, talk, talk to me. I can't agree with you. I'm a huge fan of the Rose Bowl because obviously the history, I think that um, once the CFP was announced, it was a no-brainer that the Rose Bowl was going to be one of them. Um, it's been one of the big four bowls um, for as long as we can remember, so I think um, they should keep it. Um, but my second, my cell, I guess, mm. my cell um, – and this is going to sound blasphemous based on the history of it, but I'm selling Alabama as a top five football team. Whoa! I a don't sneak think like I don't think Jalen Milrow is who people are saying he is in terms of when you actually are given the football team as opposed to just I'm being able to play free behind a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, I don't think Tyler Buckner is going to come in and have the impact that they think he is. Um, 
I don't believe that Tommy Reese is going to be able to step in as the offensive coordinator and play caller. Um, so, yeah, I'm selling out. I, I think Alabama – Oh, I'm probably going to regret this. I think Alabama loses two, at least two games next year. Uh, we're we're going to have to clip that. We're clip have to that. You heard polls. it here first. Cody Oaks said Alabama will lose two times. You know what happens when we doubt Alabama, right? Yeah. They win a national championship. So you might as well pencil Alabama in to be the national champion. But don't forget where you heard it first if they do lose two or more. It's interesting because you didn't mention even Ty Simpson, which Greg McElroy thinks Ty Simpson's going to start, which I don't even know who Ty Simpson even is. <laughs> my point. Oh, my God. I, I hope that doesn't bite you in the ass, Cody, because, man, that clip's going to be funny to play, like, in December. <laughs> but we'll see. When they're playing we'll for the we'll SEC Championship and they're undefeated playing Georgia, yep. Uh, exactly. Well, moving on to our next segment, it's the farewell tour. There's a lot of laughs this year, and this is a unique college football season. A transition into the future. First one, this is the last year of the college football playoff four-team playoff because two wasn't good enough, so we went to four. It's going to be the 10th year of the CFP with four teams. Now, what are your thoughts on the 12-team playoff? Now, real quick for people out there that don't know the 12-team playoff setup, the first round will be on-campus games which I am so excited to see on-campus games being played, especially because those on-campus first-round games. So the first, the top four seeds, right, will be the top-ranked conference champions, right? Those will be the top four. And you got six at large. So it can be teams from any of the Power Five that didn't win the conference champion but were highly ranked and had a good record. Now you get into the other two spots. Jackson, that's ten spots. Yes, bitch, I know. <laughs> Let me keep talking. <laughs> Two spots could be for a group of five or possibly even an independent like a Notre Dame or possibly maybe even another power five team. So when you get to it, the, the top four teams will get a bye. And you've got the 12 versus the five, six versus 11, seven versus 10, and then the eight versus nine matchups. First round will be on campus. The second round quarterfinals will be eight teams. It will be the Cotton Bowl. Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl for 2024. Semifinals will be the Fiesta Bowl and the Beach Bowl, which I don't know where the Beach Bowl is. I just saw it now. It probably means Peach Bowl. Probably an edit on this website. Peach Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. And then the National Championship right after. Cody, your thoughts on the 12-team playoff. And are you going to miss this 14-team playoff? Not going to miss it at all. Finally. Finally. People at TCU in 2014 are kicking themselves. People at Alabama are kicking themselves from a couple years ago. I mean, shoot, Texas A&M in 2020 when they went 9-1 and one and were ranked number five in the final CFP mm -hmm. rankings and arguably were playing better than every single team in the country. You know, um, I think this is going to actually solve the issue of what if. Yep. You lose a couple games early, you're not eliminated. Because if you think about it now with this 13-game regular season schedule, you could go start one and two, rattle off 10 games in a row. You're playing the best football in the country. Now you actually get that opportunity to show that you're one of the top programs in the country. Maybe someone's battling an injury. Someone gets suspended. Who knows? Someone gives someone a Chick-fil-A bag of 300 and you guys have to forfeit a game at the beginning. 
you know, it is what it is. Like, I'm just so excited that they're able to, that they got out of their own way, that the NCAA and the CFP committee got out of their own way, expanded it. And I think they expanded it to a good number. And like you said at the very beginning, on-campus games is going to be huge, not only for the universities involved, but also for the universities in the future and all the revenue for those athletic departments. Man, it's going to be so much fun. Oklahoma, Texas moved from the Big 12 to the SEC. This move happened a couple years ago. Can't believe time flies by. This is the last season in the Big 12. Um, as an Oklahoma fan, your thoughts? You know, I'm really excited. Um, I think that uh, the Big 12, it kind of started to lose its lose its luster when uh, Missouri and Texas A&M took off. Um, it kind of messed up some regional rivalries and also recruiting in those states. And I think it directly led to kind of the dip in talent, not only at Oklahoma, but also kind of across the league um, and the Big 12. So them moving, obviously, again, this is from my biased Oklahoma opinion. I think this is going to lead to an a surge of talent that goes to Oklahoma. I think they already seen it. Um, I think we had something like four or five, five-star recruits that ended up actually signing with Oklahoma this last recruiting cycle. I know some big time transfers went in there, obviously once coach Venables got it, got, got into town. So, I mean, I think ultimately it's going to be great for Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, the big 12, obviously you guys have some new players coming in that are going to help kind of bolster the league and kind of keep it together. Um, but it's uh, uh, a little bittersweet, though. You know, um, there's going to be certain rivalries that, you know, you like to see that aren't going to happen now on a yearly basis. Um, and so, you know, just kind of, again, bittersweet. Happy that we're going to be able to go to the SEC and shut all these people up that always say that Oklahoma and Texas are soft. Um, don't really care about Texas. But as you guys have seen, Oklahoma has a what? Oh, yeah, a winning record against the SEC since uh, 2000. So. In case you're wondering, we're pretty well equipped to play against SEC. Texas, not so much. So um, <laughs> that being said, nah. Like I said, as an Oklahoma fan, extremely excited about next steps, and uh, hopefully, teams don't get mad when we possibly win the Big Twelve championship this year. Okay, <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I like Oklahoma, Texas. I mean, Texas is gonna be a fun environment. You know, kind of see the Texas Georgia at at, at Texas. I saw. That Texas, Michigan, right? Texas, Michigan are playing not this year, but the year after. Um, the lowest ticket you can buy for it is six hundred and fifty dollars. Wow! For that game, Arch Manning versus whoever they got over there at Michigan will be interesting. Another big news: the SEC divisions will be gone after this year. Yay! Hallelujah! Let's go. Here's a little insight on that. Because Oklahoma and Texas are coming into the into the SEC, they are vanishing the divisions now in twenty twenty four. Each team will play eight conference games plus one required opponent in either the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, or a major independent, including Notre Dame, which I love Liar. because that way you've got more conference games and you force teams like Alabama to go play the Notre Dames, go play the Clemsons, go play, you know, not Texas now that they're in the division, but now they're in the conference, but I mean, I love it. We might, I don't know if they're ever going to schedule this. I know they're not for next year, Alabama and I was am wrong. Alabama and Georgia are playing each other in 2024 during the season. That is some big news. I cannot wait. Cody, no divisions. We're seeing more. We're seeing more conferences do this. Tell me if I'm wrong. Is the Big Ten are they changing the no divisions too, or are they going to go divisions with UCLA and USC? Ooh, great question. I do believe that they are going no divisions, but um, 
I mean, ultimately, I think that's what all college football is going to end up doing um, because what ends up happening is kind of what we've had in the Big Ten the last few years. Ohio State, Michigan, they come in undefeated. One of them loses, and now one of them has to sit out. Um, Penn, I'll even go a step further. Penn State last year, 11 and No two. divisions. No divisions in 2024. Sorry, continue. I For just, the Big Ten? Excellent. For the Big Ten. So, like, I'll take it a step further. Penn State goes 11-2 and two last year, loses to Ohio State, and loses to Michigan. You know, who knows? Maybe one of those guys goes into that last game 11-1 and one instead of 12-0. and 0, They lose. Um, now you consider that third-place team. Maybe you hop up on the last weekend. So, um, I think it'll just allow um, for now a little bit more. Um, every single game will mean something. Uh, titles or title bursts won't be clinched in week eight like we've seen in the past. Um, so, yeah, exciting times in college football, man. Speaking of rivalries, you mentioned Oklahoma uh, did some rivalries, long-time rivalries. Uh, ben Lum, no longer a thing after this year for right now, near future. Maybe later on they'll, they'll reconvene, kind of like what Nebraska-Oklahoma is doing right now. Um, which, which university does it hurt more? That Bedlam's gone. I know what you're going to say, but Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? I think it definitely hurts Oklahoma State. I mean, at the end of the day, um, Oklahoma State was relevant a lot of times because they had to beat Oklahoma to make it to a New Year's Six Bowl, possibly make it to the playoff. Um, looking at you, Brandon Whedon. Um, and thing like at the end of the day, like Oklahoma is one of the blue bloods of college football. So that means that Oklahoma State they would sometimes measure their entire season success on whether or not they won this game. Um, just a little bit of history about Bedlam. It was started getting played in 1904. There have been 117 meetings. Yeah. And by the way, OU has a huge advantage over the Pokes uh, with a 91-19-7 and record. So, <laughs> like Not much said, of a rivalry uh, there, CO, eh? Yeah, what's that? So not much of a rivalry there. God, yeah, damn, well, as we know, the real rivalry is that team down south that wears burnt orange, not regular orange. But uh, anyway, um, they've played every year since 1910, so 113 years straight. Um, and unfortunately, that's going to be gone, man. You know, I, like um, I have so many good memories from this rivalry. You know, uh, I'll never forget um, sitting in my mom's <laughs> living room. In 2014, literally watching Tyreek Hill take the punt return back in 2014. Yes, that Tyreek Hill back in 20, when he was a running back, not a wide receiver at Oklahoma State. A lot of people don't remember that. Um, he ended up taking a punt back with like 50 seconds to go to actually send that game to overtime. We ended up losing um, to Oklahoma State. That was one of their 19 wins. Um, and then obviously my fondest memory of, of Bedlam would have to probably be um, – Adrian Peterson's freshman year, he had this crazy, like he ran the ball on the left side, had this crazy spinning run where he like was getting tackled by three dudes, spun off and went like 80 to the crib. And at that point, we kind of knew we were going to win it. So, um, man, just so many, so many good memories. Um, it'll be sad to see it go, but hopefully they can find a way to maybe schedule it in the non-conference kind of moving forward in the future. For me, when it comes to Bedlam, I, I, I'm kind of more recent. I, I think of the night games, and I think of Kyler Murray, and I think of Baker Mayfield, their performances. I mean, those, again, like must-win games to go to the Big 12 championship, to go to the playoff. And at that point, I believe there wasn't even – Baker's, there wasn't even a championship. Kyler Murray's, there was a championship, right? That was like the first Big 12 yep. conference championship. 
it so, was the first one like back after they had gotten rid of it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So those those stand out to me, the night games and stuff. And I always love the the atmosphere there, Oklahoma State. It's a good stadium. It's a good, it's a it's a good atmosphere at night. Don't 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 get me twisted, but at the end of the day, Oklahoma's big rival, like you mentioned, is Texas. Oklahoma State's biggest rival is Oklahoma. Oklahoma, eh, like we don't it's not, it's not a big rivalry, like you mentioned. It's so lopsided. 91 and 19. Come on, That's bro. Ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We're Come good. on, Oklahoma State. Come on, Mike Dundee. <laughs> Stick around for as long as possible and get that back up. But the last one we got to mention, obviously we mentioned it a little uh, during that last segment, USC-UCLA going to the Big Ten. Now, this will be interesting with travel, having USC going to like a Rutgers and UCLA going to like a Maryland. But I think USC is in the best position right now when it, when you, when it, turns, when it comes to a standpoint of – when they go to the Big Ten, they're going to have Malachi Nelson at quarterback, which is not a name right now, but he's a freshman quarterback coming up, and he'll learn from Caleb Williams. You got Lincoln Riley, too. And then on the other side, you got Chip Kelly, who was going to have Dante Moore to kind of, you know, bring up like he did Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I like the move. I like that USC-UCLA is going there. I love how some of the Big Ten teams can come to the West Coast. We can go see USC-Ohio State, USC or UCLA versus Michigan. UCLA versus Penn State, and also wow. the color schemes are going to be insane too. Love it. But I mean, your thoughts about UCLA USC moving uh, to the Big Ten next year? Well, you know, as as both of us kind of growing up in the Pac-12 footprint, you know, it was kind of sad to see just because you kind of you kind of look forward to like you know UW traveling down to LA to play SC or UCLA traveling up to Austin to play against Oregon. You know, mm-hmm. um, we kind of grew up. Back even in like the old Pac-10 days, you know, um, back before Colorado and Utah came over to make it the Pac-12, you know, USC and UCLA uh, always would play on that first weekend of December. Um, and it was always must-see TV. You know, sometimes it would be like a three and nine UCLA team playing up against a 10 and one USC team and it'd come down to the fourth quarter and it'd be fun to watch. And obviously we'll be able to watch it this year because that will always be must-see TV with UCLA and USC being in LA, one of the biggest markets in the country. But um, you kind of feel for the Pac-12, you know, they're kind of losing one of their biggest recruiting hotbeds. I mean, obviously, if you think about it, when you think of um, California, it's almost like California as a state and then L.A. when it comes to recruiting. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what recruits choose to do in that recruiting hotbed of Los Angeles now that UCLA and USC are making that move over to the Big Ten. The Pac-12 a couple of years ago was kind of struggling, and I, I kind of thank and give kudos to Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix. Because I feel like once they moved to the Pac-12, the Pac-12 kind of rose up, kind of felt alive as a conference. I ask you, Big Ten improves tremendously with USC and UCLA. How can the Pac-12 replace two basically dynasties, the two founding fathers of the Pac-12 when they leave? I've heard comings of San Diego State. I've heard comings from Boise State. I just think that's not really going to – that's not going to fill seats. No one's going to be really excited to see San Diego State versus Washington for football, maybe basketball. But do you think the Pac-12 can recover with these two departures? You know what? I think uh, it just – I think it does signal kind of like as we've kind of seen, like, you know, there's been predictions of like, oh, they're going to be end up like with two mega conferences, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, that type of thing. I think this is kind of the beginning of that because any time – like. USC and UCLA were literally hallmark programs of the Pac-12. And for them to leave, um, I think it's kind of just trending in that direction. But I think in the interim, let's say the next five to ten years, um, I think 
it would make sense for the Pac-12 to go get a Boise State, maybe find a way to maybe get like a Utah State out of the Mountain West, mm-hmm. um, just because they've had some recent success, maybe in the last 10 to 15 years. Shout out my boy, Will Davis. Go Aggies. Um, but real talk, I think at the end of the day, like you go get a Boise State, you go get um, a Utah State maybe. Um, now you kind of create that like that Rocky Mountain corridor four right there to kind of replace the Pacific two in USC and UCLA. So we'll see, man. I mean, ultimately, like I said, I think down the road, 15, 20 years, we're going to have just two mega conferences, East yeah. Coast, West Coast type of thing, or maybe even they leave the NCAA completely. So we'll see how it goes. Man, I can't wait for the day when the NCAA just they everyone says, you know what, we're just gonna leave the NCAA because the NCAA. I'm sorry, you're a bunch of you guys are a piece of shit. I'm so sorry, you guys are a piece of shit. I don't care, but Pac-12 stay strong because we're both West Coast guys. Love watching the Pac-12 football. Um, the media deal is going on right now. Hopefully, they can find somewhere in the future after next year to get a media deal so everyone can watch Pac-12 games and keep the Pac-12 network together. But Oh, man, that Pac-12 stays strong. Now we get into a fun segment. Now we get into our top five. Top five is going to be an annual segment we always do. We're not going to do top five quarterbacks for Cody, but stay tuned for our next episode. Cody's going to break down the top five quarterbacks for every single conference. So stay tuned for that. But our first top five of two. Top five things we're looking forward to for this season. Do you want to start or do you want me to start first? I'm going to start. Honorable mention. Five to one. We got to build suspense. Okay, do it. Okay, I'm interested to see, like, obviously I'm a quarterback guy. I'm interested to see how does Spencer Rattler finish his career at South Carolina. He's coming back. He has a lot of returning starters. Um, Coach Beamer has their special teams going. Um, Man, it'll be interesting to see how South Carolina and more specifically Spencer Rattler kind of do they ride that wave of momentum of how they finished uh 2022 into some success in 2023 we'll see do they rise up and become kind of that team that tennessee of 2022 to rival georgia in the sec east uh we'll see but that's what my honorable mention of things to look forward to this season okay number Uh, five number five sticking in the sec with an easier schedule can georgia do the unthinkable run through the sec once again and win an unprecedented third title in a row. Hasn't been done. Uh, when's the last time we saw three in a row? I, I want to say Nebraska in the early no, 90s. No, it was Minnesota back in like 1907. Wow. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nebraska back yeah. to back. They didn't go three in a row. They went three out of four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Man, crazy to think about, right? Um, but, I mean, with a soft, like with a baby shit soft schedule like they have this year. Um, and don't get me wrong, the SEC is tough. But Georgia misses a lot of the big dogs and kind of the up-and-comers this year. So um, it's lining up for Georgia to be able to go three in a row, um, although they are breaking in a new quarterback, which leads me into number four. Um, the big three. And when I think of the sport of college football right now, there's three programs that are kind of like a cut above the rest when it comes to recruiting, uh, success on the field, um, and even like player success after college. And right now those three to me are Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio state. And so this is going to be the first time in a long time where all three of them are actually going to be replacing their quarterback. So all three are breaking new quarterbacks. Um, and so it's basically like what school, 
what I'm looking forward to is seeing like what school or schools are going to suffer that uh, kind of that those inexperienced quarterback blues. Um, and obviously, as you guys know, how I feel about uh, Alabama, um, it'll be interesting to see can Kyle McCord and or whoever ends up stepping in at Ohio State with arguably, maybe not arguably, the best wide receiver group in the country um, at Ohio State. Is he going to be able to distribute to all those playmakers? So we'll see what happens that, with the big three. Um, at number four or three? I think you're at three. I'm at, I'm at three. You're at three. Um, how do the Big 12 schools treat OU and Texas in their final road games? Ooh. You know, are they going to be like, is it going to be a good farewell? Like, oh, you know, give them a tribute video or will teams kind of smell blood in the water and want to like kind of go balls to the wall with like, oh, F-O-U, like horns. And maybe everyone's doing the horns down in the stands or something because the players can't do it. So, bro, I you don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that, that happens. Wow. I didn't even think about it. That's a good one. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah, man. Um, number two. Number two. So I'm extremely high on this team, which you guys will hear later in later episodes. But, folks, does Penn State and James Franklin finally break through the Michigan-Ohio State wall in the Big Ten East? Drew Aller at quarterback. Absolute stud. Nick Singleton and Catron Allen at running back. Absolute ballers that balled out as freshmen coming back as sophomores. An absolutely loaded defense. Coach Franklin calling the plays on offense. This will be their best team since the 2016 Rose Bowl team that had uh, Saquon Barkley on it. Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley, number nine, Mr. Lacrosse. I'm telling you guys, Penn State, if there was a stock that you could buy right now in college football, I would go all in on Penn State. And finally, my number one thing that I'm looking forward to this season, quarterback playing the Pac-12. Let's just run down. Oregon State, is it going to be DJ Uyunglele or Aiden Childs? Our the guy. Kid under center. Washington, Michael Penix coming back for year two. Possible dark horse for the Heisman. Possible favorite for the Heisman after what he did last year with Kalen DeBoer and those receivers. Bo Nix in year two at Oregon. Early Heisman talk last year, ended up getting kind of banged up. Oregon kind of fizzled down the stretch. Does he come back with a vengeance, and can Oregon make another run at a conference title? We'll see. Um, Cameron Rising, feels like he's been at Utah for 38 years. but He's back to finish his career at Utah. Um, now, kind of the freshman wonderkins, Jaden Rashada, Dante Moore, do they get early chances to play at ASU and UCLA? We'll see. Um Obviously, the big name coming in as a transfer as well, Shador Sanders. He makes his Colorado debut. And then, obviously, you can't talk about quarterbacks in the Pac-12 without talking about the returning Heisman winner, Caleb Williams. Is he going to be able to improve on his Heisman season and solidify his spot as the number one pick? Or does he have, unfortunately, like a Jake Locker fall where originally, oh, he's going to be the number one pick, has a maybe an injury-plagued junior season and isn't as good. So we'll see, man. But other – that being said, I mean, and shout out, obviously, Cam Ward and Jaden Rashada or and Jaden Delora, Washington State, Arizona, respectively. I just feel like those other eight groups are a little bit higher than you guys. Mm -hmm. But that being said, man, I just can't wait to see the quarterback play in the Pac-12, which I think is a cut above every other conference when it comes to quarterback play. Me being a quarterback guy, that's what I 
am looking forward to the most. Great top five. Great top five across the board there. All right, I'm going to do mine. Honorable mention. This Now, I, my honorable mention, my five were mentioned in yours. But, again, you had these ranked higher. So, my honorable mention, you mentioned it. Um, I'm excited for the new wave of quarterbacks in these dynasties, right? You mentioned Ohio State, Alabama, and, and Georgia. Specifically, I'm, I'm excited for Ohio State and Georgia over them because Carson Beck, Kyle McCord, these are two guys that could have transferred out and went somewhere else, but they stayed in the program. And we've seen success recently with quarterbacks that have stayed in the program and just developed. Like Joe Burrow over Ohio State, developed, made his way to LSU, developed. Obviously won a Heisman, number one player, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So I'm excited to see that new way because most likely those three quarterbacks at those three schools are going to have a next year. We're going to be talking next year about, oh, Beck did this, McCord did this, or whatever the hell Alabama figures out. You know what I mean? So <laughs> to see that next wave of dynasty quarterbacks, because we just got we just got done with C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett, and Bryce Young for the last two years, two, three years. I mean, that's, that's a pretty dynamic three. All got drafted. Heisman Trophy, should have won the Heisman Trophy, MVP of four college football playoff games. Crazy. Exactly. Crazy. My number five. I'm going to go teams that had great finishes in 2022. Mm. You mentioned Penn State, right? Penn State with Drew Aller, which we've heard a lot about him. We've heard a lot of good stuff about him. They're obviously their two running backs are coming back. They were true freshmen last year with Singleton and Allen. I mean, 1,900 combined rushing yards and 22 touchdowns as true freshmen is absolutely ridiculous. And that's a good dynamic, too. They both committed to the same school. They kind of went different schools. They said, you know what? Let's work together. Future both first-round picks. Um, they won five of their last. They won. They won their last five games straight after the Ohio State close game, and they would have won that game if JT Tomalala wasn't even playing. If he was not playing that game, they would have won the game. They would have won that game. I mean, Ohio State scored twenty eight points in the fourth quarter. They would have won that game. Uh, mentioned also Penn State. They beat Utah, which we were we were did not see that coming. They won thirty five to 20, 21 in the Rose Bowl. I'm excited. That's one of the teams that finished well. Second team, Texas Tech. They won uh, four straight games, the last four games, including the bowl game against Ole Miss. Again, another upset. Most people had Ole Miss in that game with Jackson Dart. Texas Tech, Tyler Shuck. We'll talk about them more in the Big 12. And the last team, and I think this team, they finished off well. They've got a better quarterback this year. And their schedule, they were on the table, Cody. Or if they even lose one of these games, they can make the playoff. And that's Notre Dame. Marcus mm, Freeman last year. Yes. They got Sam Hartman. They went six and one in their last seven games with a decent quarterback in Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner. Now you've got a guy, Sam Hartman, who was a projected draft pick. Could have went to the draft. Instead, he said, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay back. I'm gonna stay back and uh, go to Notre Dame. They've got Ohio State USC at home this year and Clemson on the road. Wow. We don't know about Clemson, but we know USC and Ohio State are at least gonna be be college football playoff potential teams. So that's who I've got at my number five spot. Number four, I'm excited for non-conference games this year. There's Dude, a ton what? of non-conference great games, and it kind of gives us that taste of the CFP, kind of gives us a taste of the bowl games when there's two conferences going head-to-head. Someone's the kind of name, LSU, Florida State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Clemson, Notre Dame, USC, Texas, Alabama, even Washington at Michigan State. Can they turn it around? Can Mel Tucker turn it around even seeing a guy like Penix go back to the big 10 side of things when he was at Indiana and you got Oregon Texas Tech Tyler Shuck facing his old team I mean those are the early on games but they make a big impact in the rankings because later on in December we're looking at it we're saying okay you know Notre Dame beat Clemson 
but Clemson now they're four and eight. I'm not saying they're gonna be four and eight, but you know they they turn it out bad, so that wins not as impressive. So happens all the time. To see non-conference games there as well. Love it. My number three, oh, man. I think I lost a slipper because I love the Cinderellas. I love the Cinderellas. Who this year? I mean, I think Cinderellas are slightly better than upsets. Upsets are great, but when you see that Cinderella team, like TCU last year, like Tennessee last year, bending without Hendon Hooker, who knows what that team could have done. But I'm interested to see who's going to be that TCU, who's going to be that Tennessee that no one thought was going to be at the top and just kind of just beat teams week after week. Super excited to see the Cinderellas. And number two, and I've got a sound, I've got a sound clip here for this one. Um, this is the last season, which I I think one of the most underrated broadcasts, one of the most underrated, just combined with the conference and the network. Last season of SEC on CBS with oh. Brad Nessler and Gary Donaldson. I'm gonna just let this clip play real quick and then I'll explain why. And with that, we get set for the 94th meeting all time between the Volunteers and the Crimson Tide. And the Home Depot, SEC on CBS, brings us to a sold-out Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. 102,000 here to watch a battle in the top 10. Number three, Alabama. Number six, Tennessee. For the first time meeting on this third Saturday in October, unbeaten both teams for the first time in 33 years. Welcome, everybody. I'm Brad Nussler. My partner's Gary Danielson. Jenny Dell's down on the sideline. Oh, the voices are so good, dude. And to see the the panorama, the drone shot of everyone there, to see the players, the, the atmosphere, Gary Donaldson, a very underrated color analyst, might I add. Oh, yeah. Might I add. He so, is old, the oldest one, but he's so underrated. SEC on CBS, I'm going to miss it. Obviously, when the Big Ten goes to CBS a little bit, it's going to be different, but it just felt like the, the best SEC game was always on CBS. Your thoughts about that one? Man, I don't think we've ever actually talked about this, but my three favorite broadcasters are Brad Nessler, Sean McDonough, and um, – uh oh my gosh gus johnson i love gus johnson i do but i really really liked brent musburger mm. you are looking live like oh my gosh every time i heard that so brad nessler used to be on abc espn made the move over to cbs mm. sean mcdonough has always been an abc espn guy obviously we loved gus johnson he's been kind of a cbs fox guy now um, and then Brett Musburger, man, Brett Musburger has been, I feel like he's been on every network alive, but I really kind of got it, uh, like into him when he was on like the ABC primetime game. Yeah. Him in like, the early Kirk 2000s, Hershey. 2010s. Yeah. So man, uh, sad to see CBS go from sec. Cause it was, we always knew that 1230 kick, man, that 1230 kick every Saturday on the West coast was always going to be an absolute barn burner, whether it was Alabama, LSU, whether it was Bama, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Tennessee, um, Tennessee, like Ole Miss versus Alabama, 
mm. LSU versus Arkansas, whatever it might be. SEC on CBS just always kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit different. Um, so it'll be uh, sad to see him go. Yeah, and a little teaser there. Not next segment, but the segment after. We'll be drafting college football on-air personalities, so stay tuned for that. And my number one, it's got to be the first Saturday of college football. <sighs> just, just flat out the first Saturday. You wake up early, you watch college game day, you get the breakfast rolling, you know, you scroll and see, okay, okay, at this time, at this time, I'm going to watch this game, I'm going to flip over, you know, you kind of visualize, okay, this is on ABC, this is on ESPN, this is on Fox, CBS, I need to know where the channels are, I need to make sure I got my laptop ready with the scores, maybe another game over there, make sure my phone's ready with another one, my iPad's ready with another one, my two TVs with another game. (laughs) Everything going on, and then my phone ready because I'm going to be texting and calling Cody the entire day, even though we're going to film the show the next day. I, we got to talk about college football. First Saturday, the college football feeling is just going to be amazing. I'm super excited just, just for it, and those are the top five things I am looking forward to for this season. That first Saturday is going to be nuts, bro. Dude, that first Saturday, Saturday is going to feel different. I'm going to have the chills the whole day. Dude, I'm be I remember happy. last year we actually had a moment where, like, we FaceTimed each other and I had my computer and TV um, on two different games. Jackson had his TV and computer on two separate games than the two that I was watching. And we were talking through each one like, yo, turn the, turn the camera so I can see the game. What's happening? On that? <laughs> what channel is that on? Turn it on. I didn't see Fun it. Stuff, yeah. Man. That was Fun so stuff. funny. What a, what a wonderful time of year, man. Can't what a wonderful time. Well, we're going to, I hate to kind of change the mood because we're all happy now, but. We're going to talk about the top five biggest letdowns in college football the last five to ten years. And, Cody, mm. I'd like to start, if that's fine. If that's cool Go ahead. With you. I'll just start. I don't want to mention. And, you know, I hate calling out players because, you know, certain things happen, certain, you know, circumstances and players and injuries and stuff like that. But my honorable mention for biggest letdown, I'm going to go JT Daniels. Mm. Guy was a five-star quarterback out of, out of high school reclassifies the number one quarterback in the nation in 2018. Now, I, I think he should have probably stayed an extra year, and here's why. Goes to USC early, balls out his freshman year, 2,600 yards. Gets hurt in 2019. Loses the job to Keaton Slovis. Transfers to Georgia. Plays well in Georgia, uh, specifically in the Peach Bowl, 26-36, 392 yards. Touchdown, interception, and they beat Cincinnati. Okay, he's the favorite to win the job in 2021. Uh, he gets hurt. A guy named Stetson Bennett steps in, and the career of JT Daniels at Georgia doesn't over. Then he goes to West Virginia. He loses the job in like three games, 13 touchdowns, nine picks, gets benched to a, by, by a true freshman, gets benched. And, uh, yeah, now he's at Rice University. So now he's at his fourth university. But to see him as a five-star, you know, people potentially said first-round talent, to now being at Rice University, he's my honorable mention for letdown. Cody, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think he was one of the first quarterbacks that I really, really dove into in terms of like really studying the position from like a recruiting aspect, kind of fit at USC and what it was going to be like. I mean, he was throwing the guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, NFL guy, Micah Pittman, NFL guy. So it was one of those things that you were like, oh, man, like this guy is going to absolutely shred college football. Um, And he has yet to live up to the billing, you know, Um, so. It's kind of sad to see, um, but ultimately that's kind of 
the way things go sometimes guys fizzle out sometimes guys don't live up to expectations that's why you know you can like you'll have some people that are like oh you shouldn't rank these kids so early and that whatever at the end of the day like sometimes sometimes kids are good sometimes they're not man it happens sometimes our society right it is what it is our society is driven by numbers we're driven by rankings we're driven by all that kind of stuff like that so it has to be done Um, and And i hate calling out players Because we're a very positive college football show, but I had to call him out because he was a big letdown. And he was my class, and him reclassifying was probably not the best move for him. My number five. I'm going to go biggest letdown, number five, Pac-12 in the college football playoff. Mm. Two appearances in the last 10 years. Mm. And and I'm not going to lie, the last couple years, they've had some good teams, right? And it seems like every year it's always, I call it the carousel, the circle, where they always beat each other out. I don't know why my camera is not focusing. First episode, we'll figure it out. Um, it's always a circle. It's always USC beats Utah. Utah beats this, blah, blah, blah. Always a circle. It always seems like we get an outlier every year, and then it turns out they get beaten and none of them make the playoff. So two in 10 years, uh, USC um, – no, was it, no, it was Washington. And what was the other team that made it? Oregon. You're right. Oregon, the first one. Marcus Mariota. How can I forget? I'm nuts. So that's my number five. Number four. I'm going to go NCAA still not giving back Reggie Bush's Heisman as a big letdown. Look, it's been like freaking been 13 years, man. Just give that. And guy what does money have to do with if he's a good football player or not? Exactly. He still had to run for those yards and do the pump returns and catch the ball. Okay. Okay. Easy, easy, Cody. Easy, easy, easy. For those wondering what happened to Reggie Bush uh, back in when he was playing, um, I believe it was USC or some some coaches or whatever donated. Um, maybe it was a booster that ex- basically Bush accepted some money, uh, ten grand, just to kind of help his parents out. Um, that just to help his parents live free and uh, help with travel expenses for games and stuff like that too. And he's been on a ten year uh, disassociation period that ended in June 2020, and he still doesn't have his Heisman Trophy. So um, NCAA, let's let's get that rolling. I mean, one of the most electric players and. Teaser for you, episode two, we're going to talk Heisman Trophy winners. So stay tuned oh, for that. That's my Heisman number four. My number four. I'm going to go number three, two, and one, and then I'll give your thoughts. Uh, number three, the process of making EA Sports NCAA football game is taking too damn long. Too long. We need Look, the game. I understand. They said last year was going to be the summer, and then they postponed it to this summer. Right now, they say EA Sports said there's no more delay. They said that 2024 – is going to be the year. Right now, they're in a tough. They're in a tough. They're in a tough situation right now because I think a lawsuit and people coming in saying that players need more money or players don't need this much money. Again, NCAA football. If you can't figure out the NIL, just just release the game without the rosters, and some geek will put the rosters in there. Right? They'll put it. It'll be like a cheat code. They'll put the Every rosters year. in there, and everyone Every will year. download the rosters. Okay? Every year. Let's not. Let's let's just, let's just get the don't game going. Yeah, let's get, let's get the game going. It's about damn time. It's been, I think, 13, 11, 13, 10 years since the like, 2014 was the last one. 2014 was the last game. Last game. Let's get that rolling. Uh, number two, biggest letdown in the last five to 10 years. Um, give me the Nebraska football program. <laughs> the last time they were eligible was 2016. This was more base five years. Uh, 2018 and 2022, the record has been 13 and 31. Now, I think they've hired the right guy, Matt Rule. Big Matt Rule guy. I was a fan of him when he was at Baylor. Should never went to the NFL. Most besides Pete Carroll and those outliers, it doesn't work out. The percentages with college to high school or college to the NFL, 
That's why Nick Saban's been still in college. That's why he's been dominant there. Give me Nebraska Just ask football. If Cliff Kingsbury, <clears throat> Cardinals fan. Yeah, exactly. So that's why he's going to stay in college there. But hey, I think he might be still in Thailand. Who never knows where Cliff Kingsbury is. But my two is Nebraska football program. My number one, and this is a letdown that could possibly turn into a good thing with the new playoff. I think the college football committee is the biggest letdown in the last five to 10 years. It seems like every year, okay, we're basing it on the best four teams, we're basing it on conference champions. We're basing it on non-conference. We're basing it on strength of schedule. Any bogus-ass reason the college football playoff comes up with, it's stupid. You mentioned that TCU team. You mentioned Bama a couple years ago. That didn't make it. The college football committee, thank God they're doing 12 teams because now it's going to focus on a guideline. Say the 12, okay, the four conference champs, at-large is not going to be hard. At-large is not going to be hard to figure out. We're all going to know that at-large, and then maybe the next two will be tough. But at least we got something strong structured, and it puts more emphasis on the conference championship. So, top five, my number one, CFP committee. Two, Nebraska football. Three, NCAA game not being freaking made yet. Four, NCAA and Reggie Bush. And five, Pac-12 CFP appearances. That's my top five. Love them. My top five biggest letdowns of the last ten years. Honorable mention. Does anybody remember the name Tate Martell? I almost put him on mine. I'm glad you put yours. Tate Martell, folks. Arguably, I'd say top three high school career ever behind maybe Kyler Murray. But even then, it's arguable, right? Mm. Three national championships at Bishop Gorman. Came in as a four-star or five-star, depending on what recruiting service. Um. Got a, a University of Washington offer in eighth grade out of Bishop Gorman High School. Um, ended up at Ohio State. Ended up behind guys like, I don't know, JT Barrett, Justin Fields. Those are some good players. Wayne so he transfers. I want to say he transferred to Miami. Ended up playing like receiver. Got a bunch of tattoos. Thought he was super cool. Um, ended up leaving Miami, I want to say ended up at UNLV. Couldn't even tell you his career stats because he doesn't really have any. But, man, I think we all remember watching the Netflix documentary of him um, and how much of a knucklehead he was, unfortunately, at Bishop Gorman. Um, and it's just sad to see that he wasn't able to live up to the hype because that was he was kind of coming in right after Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, and people were kind of touting him as Johnny Football 2.0. Um, yeah, won one of Heisman and actually set records, one barely played. So sad to say it, but my honorable mention, biggest letdown, Tate Martell. His sister's very hot, though. I gotta mention, <laughs> shout out Riley, <laughs> shout out Riley. You know, the name. That's funny. <laughs> all right, let's get to the top five. Okay, top five, number five of the last 10 years, folks. I was texting Jackson about this last year and was losing my mind. TCU taking the ball out of Max Duggan's hands late in the 2022 Big 12 title game. TCU, Mr. Riley, the OC that has now since left and gone to Clemson, you cost your quarterback the Heisman Trophy and your school the Big 12 championship game by not letting him run the ball in himself. 
He had backpacked you guys to that point. And you guys got cute and started handing it to a second string running back? All right. Well, well, I was going to say, too, it's funny how the Heisman committee and the, you know, everyone said, oh, the conference championship games don't matter. You know, uh, we don't, that doesn't affect anything. Uh, no, if he wins that game, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Max Duggan. If he wins yeah, the game and is the one who scores the game-winning touchdown in overtime, TCU and him, not only would have TCU probably avoided having to play Michigan and they probably would have played Ohio State, which I don't know if that was a better matchup or not, but ultimately – there was no reason why Max Duggan shouldn't have had the ball late in that game. He had backpacked them to that point, to the point where he was almost like passing out on the field. And he was an absolute warrior that game. So TCU let down number five. Number four, <laughs> the Florida Gators. Like what are, like, beginning of the 2000s, you guys were a power program. One of the blue bloods of the sport. Coach Spurrier, and then on into Coach Meyer at University of Florida. You guys are winning natties, playing for natties. I understand Coach Saban came back to the SEC, but goodness gracious, every single year, oh, Florida is back. They're like the Texas of the SEC. Florida is going to be the one. Florida is going to be the one. Here they come. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. No, you're not. Figure it out. You have the big, the, one of the best states to recruit from. You have a ridiculous alumni network. Figure it out. Like, how is this a thing? Florida Gators, number four biggest letdown in the last 10 years. Number three, Texas A&M since Jimbo Fisher got hired. 10 years, $75 million. Biggest contract in the history of college football head coaches at the time. Oh, we're coming here to win championships. We're coming here to win championships. Record since Jimbo Fisher has been at Texas A&M. 39 and 21. That's a 65% winning percentage. Okay. Now, he is undefeated in bowl games. But. Arguably the greatest recruiting class of all time last year. What did that get you? Six and six. Yeah, and a lot of uh, – didn't a lot of them go to jail or get dismissed from the team? Jail, too? kicked off, transferred. Un like, how? Like, what are we doing? In the NIL space, Texas A&M should be dominating the recruiting world, which should lead to success on the field, but it's not. So, biggest letdowns, Texas A&M hiring Jimbo Fisher. That is my number three letdown. Number two. In 2016, Baker Mayfield. Sorry, not 2016, 2018. Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts in Alabama. Those two teams were supposed to play each other in the national championship. They were supposed to have it was supposed to happen. Oklahoma had the best offense. Bama had the best defense. Baker Mayfield versus that Bama front seven. Lincoln Riley's first year as a head coach at Oklahoma. Season vet Nick Saban. It was supposed to be a passing of the torch. Probably would have been the most watched national championship game ever. People have been clamoring for it all year, all year, all year. Alabama, Oklahoma, Alabama, Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma goes on to lose an all-timer in the Rose Bowl to Georgia. And then Georgia turns around and gets Tua Tagovailoa in the national championship. What could have been biggest letdown for me, second biggest letdown, Oklahoma and Alabama not playing in the national championship in 2018. But, I mean, Cody, that Alabama-Georgia game was insane, though. I know you're Oklahoma homer, but that game was crazy. Just saying. Just saying. Oklahoma wins that game. I'll forever, I'll forever stand on that. All right. Oklahoma wins that game. But we didn't do what we needed to do to get there. I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. And my last letdown. They had the Heisman Trophy winner. They had the blur offense. They had the best uniforms in the sport. Oregon was primed and ready to win the first ever playoff national championship by a landslide over the fourth-seeded Ohio State Buckeyes. And they lost. And got rolled in the national championship. It was a foregone conclusion. They were finally, they were saying the Heisman curse had gotten broken by Mariota. He was going to win it. He was going to win the national championship. They rolled Jameis Winston in Florida State in the semifinal and then turn around and literally get boat raced by four-seeded Ohio State, who barely got in over TCU that year. Anyway, those are my five biggest letdowns. Number five, obviously, TCU taking the ball out of Max Duggan's hands. Number four, the Florida Gators in the last 10 years. Number three, Texas A&M since Jimbo Fisher got hired. Number two, Oklahoma and Alabama not playing in 2018 with Baker Mayfield and versus Jalen Hurts. And number one, Oregon losing in the first CFP National Championship with all the studs that they had, the uniforms, the swag, the Heisman Trophy. Just couldn't get the job done. You know who I was a fan of on that team too was, uh, I think his name was Keenan Lowe, the wide receiver. Receiver, filthy. He was so good. He was so good. They had a really good receiver room too that year. I agree with you. That was a good top five. Good top five. That ends our top five segment. Let's move on to the draft, and we'll wrap this show up. The draft today. Today, we are drafting college football on-air personalities. Now, to determine the order, Rochambeau. I mean, the classic rock, paper, scissors. Can my camera focus? What are we doing here? Jeez. There we go. All right. On shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, Scissors, shoot. All right. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yes. All right, you go first. All right, so you'll go, then I'll go, then you'll go, then I'll go. On screen, and this can be analysts or color commentators. Yep, or play-by-play, anyone. Any or play-by-play. Well, you know me. I'm a huge fan of this guy. I'm a quarterback guy. Joel Klatt is it for me. Put him on there. Why Joel Klatt? Why Joel Klatt? Yeah. Um, I think he is kind of the gold standard of college football reporting. You know, obviously we're biased here at the point after. I think we're great. But when it comes down to it, um, I think Joel Klatt, his insight, his ability as a former player to kind of talk from experience, also his relationships with guys throughout the sport, not only on television networks, but also coaches and players in the sport. I think he's kind of like become the gold standard in college football. 
Yeah, his interviews were really good too. Relates to the rates relates to the coaches like a normal conversation. That doesn't even feel like an interview. I agree with that. Um, I'd be remorse to not pick the godfather of college football. Give me Kirk Herbstreet. I mean, the guy's done so much for college football. Uh, story at Ohio State. He's been there college game day forever. Um, obviously, I, I personally love him more as an analyst than a uh, a color analyst. I love him more as just on college game day breaking down. Um, but give me Kirk Herbstreit. I mean, I, I can't let him pass. I can't have you have both Clatt and Herbie. So you're I'm right. Take Herbie. Two quarterbacks. Shout out Ohio State University. Um, I'm gonna go with. Brad Nessler. I mean, I told you he's one of my top three on-camera guys, um, play-by-play guy who I absolutely love. Um, I think that he has kind of stepped into kind of that Brent Musburger role of kind of like the guy for the biggest game every weekend um, in college football. So um, happy to see him still doing his thing. Um, he came over from ESPN, so it's awesome. I like it. Nestler. That's a good pick. For me, I'm going to go play-by-play uh, play play guy, too. Give me Gus Johnson. I mean, every time oh. the, the emotion, uh, him screaming, you just feel every single time. Hopefully, Fox does a better job um, at not being at Michigan or Ohio State for every single game. It seems like they were for every single one. Hopefully, they can kind of expand. But you know you know, when Gus Johnson's on the call that it's going to be a freaking gut. It's going to be a great game. So, give me Gus Johnson. Let's see I'm going to go at three, Sean McDonough. He's kind of become the lead color guy or the lead play-by-play for a big game for ESPN. It's kind of between him and Reese Davis. Oh, no, he's still there. Sorry, he's still there. My bad. Keep going. Yeah, he was not one of the cuts. Trust me, I looked. Well, Todd uh, Todd Blackledge, the guy he worked with, is at NBC now. I got him confused. Got you. Yep. No worries. Um, But, yes, Sean McDonough, you, sir – so many good games. There's one that sticks out to me, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati back in like 2009. Marty Gilliard had like a punt return late in that game to kind of give since or yeah, I want to say it was like Marty Gilliard had a punt return late in that game to kind of bring them within one score. And then mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was their quarterback Pike through like a fade ball with like 30 seconds left in the snow at Pittsburgh to beat Pittsburgh on the road and kind of solidify Cincinnati to go to like the sugar bowl or something. And, Sean McDonough was on the call, and it was one of those bone-chilling moments where you get goosebumps, and it's just you're almost emotional watching it happen. So, Sean McDonough, you're number three for me. I love it. And, and when he gets loud, too, and he kind of, like, squeaks his voice, it, yes. it's it's the best. The Fiesta Bowl, he was on the call, too, last year with TCU in Michigan. Good stuff. For me, this might be a little high, um, but I think the tradition speaks for itself. Give me Lee Corso. Mm. I mean, the headgear tradition, that, that's iconic. Remember his older days versus now. Um, he was pretty good at breaking down games. He had a coach perspective. Obviously got old. But, again, when, when you see the the atmosphere, everyone's either cheering or booing him. And, and he kind of reacts the way he reacts. And um, I like Lee Corso. Give me Lee Corso as my number third pick. Love the pick. Love the pick. The old ball coach. Love him. I'm going to go kind of off the beaten path. But – I just love his breakdowns and his realness, and he's a super successful coach turned TV personality. Um, I'm not sure if they're bringing him back, but um, whenever they have this guy on, he's awesome, and he has a lot of nuggets of knowledge. Give me Urban Meyer. Ooh. 
Yeah, watch your uh, watch your daughters, watch your girlfriends, watch your fiance, watch your wife. Don't get him in a bar again. That was a disgusting video. But, but Urban Meyer, football, he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I, I respect that pick. I didn't even have him on my list to be honest, but I respect uh, respect the hell out of it. It's, it's, a, it's a good pick. For me at my four slot, um, I kind of need a guy to run the show. Who do I go with? Um, um, hmm. Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this guy just because he's a classic. Um, and I mentioned him earlier. Uh, actually, no. You know what? Screw that. Give me Chris Fowler. I'll match him up. I'll get the play-by-play guys too. The LSU Alabama game, his call was unreal with Jason Taylor at the end of overtime going for two. Um, give me, give me Chris Fowler. I'll go the safe route. Chris Fowler, Herbie together, and I got Gus Johnson and Lee Corso. What, a, what, a, what a group! What a group! I'm gonna go with the guy who always ends up calling amazing games somehow every single time there's a triple overtime game or a hail mary or some ridiculous play to end the game this guy is always on the call and he never disappoints give me joe tessator Ooh, i like that a lot actually he's super underrated too and him oh. and rg3 are actually a pretty good duo together i'm not gonna dude lie. speaking of rg3 he actually called the tcu rg3 baylor game when they were all going back and forth and it was like 51 48 and it was like the first game of the year and it was absolutely unreal i'll never forget it my last pick um this is so tough there's actually a lot of good people left um I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because we talked so high of him earlier. Give me David Pollock as my last one. Dude, I know I got a lot of college game made show. guys, but I mean, he's such a, he's such a guru of the game. He should have left ESPN. I'm hoping he gets a job here shortly. Um, we'll see. It's tough because most networks have their, have their station set, have their, have their lineup set, but hopefully he can come up with like a David Pollock show. I'd love to see that in the off season, but give me David Pollock as my last one. So to recap, Cody's team consists of Joel Klatt, Brad Nessler, Sean McDonough, Urban Meyer, and Joe Tessitore. A lot of a lot of uh, play-by-play guys there. A lot of play-by-play guys, which we yep. love to see. And I've got two play-by-play guys too. I got Herbie, Kirk Herbstreet, Gus Johnson, Lee Corso, Chris Fowler, and David Pollock. Comment below. See who won the first draft. We're going to keep score throughout the college football season. And the loser, we're going to do something embarrassing. Maybe they'll have to, you know, streak or something or. I don't know. We'll probably not do something that that extreme. Wear a dress we'll, to the college football playoff. Oh, wear a dress to a game would be crazy. That'd be crazy. But, dude, I mean, what a banger episode, Cody. It's been so long uh, since we talked college football. So natural, so organic. Great first episode with different topics. Um, just, yeah, just amazing. As we reflect on episode one, signing off, Cody, give me your last thoughts. Last thoughts, man. We're six weeks away, man. Six weeks away <laughs> from college football. Can't wait. So many good storylines. So ready to get past this offseason and negativity and um, disrespectful things that happen throughout the offseason. I just can't wait to get back to actually playing the game and sport that we love. So it'll be fun to watch. Fall camp is underway. And stay tuned. Thursday, we're going to break down our first conference, the Big 12 Conference. They're trending in the right direction. We're going to talk everything Big 12 Conference. We're going to talk about the new teams. We're going to give our preseason poll. 
our conference champ, our offensive player, defensive player of the year, and more. Stay tuned. You know where to be at. The Point After College Football Show. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on Thursday. Peace.